Welcome to another edition of the Work Life Hub podcast. To find out more and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.eu. Welcome to our regular and our new listeners of the Work Life Hub podcast. Um, this is another special episode that we're doing ahead of the HR Expo in Cologne in Germany in September. And it's my great pleasure to be speaking via Skype to Chris Roebuck. Hello, Chris. Hello. Uh, Chris is a visiting professor at, of transformational leadership at the Cast Business School. And he's also an expert of transforming organizations through leadership. He is also the author of Lead to Succeed, and he will be one of the keynote speakers at the HR Expo on the 16th of September. And the title of his presentation is Mac 2 Leadership, HR's Route to Credibility and an Easy Life in Just Two Steps. Now, I looked up what this Mac 2 is, Chris. It's 680.58 meters per second. <laughs> And it's also the definition says that it depends on the condition of the surrounding medium. So I, firstly, I'm, I'm, of course, very curious as to how you chose that title. And then I think you will take us through a little bit of a reality check as to what is wrong with organizations today and, and what could be HR's role to fix it. So just take me maybe through the title of your presentation. Well, the, the, the point of the, the title is quite clear from my perspective in that we're, we're in a situation where the world has changed significantly since the financial crisis. And not only that, but there have been significant changes in the way people think, the way people expect their organizations to take account of, of what they want. Uh, and in that sense, it's not just human capital as a resource. These are people who want to be treated with respect. So in that sense, there's been an, a number of major changes in the world of work that we need to adapt to. But the problem is that we're not adapting that fast. And what I have noticed over many years is that we have the amazing ability to make things significantly more complicated than they really need to be. Uh, maybe that's because we think by making things sound complicated, it makes us sound very clever when we talk about them. But the problem is that inevitably, by making things more complicated than they need to be, it means that actually the chances of successfully implementing them reduce. And if I look back at my experience in the military, and maybe I should tell the listeners that whilst I am a, the visiting professor of transformational leadership at Cass Business School, uh, that means I'm a sort of um, a sort of part-time professor, and my main career has been engaged in organisations as diverse as Time in the British Army, London Underground, UBS, HSBC, uh, and even working with organisations like the the Red Cross and the Chinese space program. So within that context, I've seen a, a lot of things happening in organizations, some of which are great, some of which are, are not so great. And making things more complicated has always struck me as being an exercise in self-frustration 
in that by making things more complicated, you reduce the chances of anybody successfully implementing it. And that's one of the key principles that the military works under, which is every single additional step in a process that is not necessary that you add in introduces a greater risk of it not actually working. So the whole concept of MAC2, the whole concept of what I talk about is to say, look, let's take a step back. Let's look at what we're doing about driving organizational success. Let's look at what we're doing about leadership. And therefore, inevitably, let's look at what HR is doing and say, what are the critical things we need to do to deliver success? And how can HR help organizations deliver those? And the MAC2 thing was, in the end, I thought, actually, there's really two critical steps to achieving this. But if you can achieve this, MAC2 is twice the speed of sound. MAC2 is the speed that Concorde went at, the aeroplane that was a passenger aeroplane that flew faster than military fighters. And it was at its time, something that people couldn't really believe, and it exceeded the performance of everything else. And I think that's why I chose Mac 2 first of all, because they're two steps, Mac 1 and Mac 2 but also Mac 2 epitomizes going to the limits of what's possible. And that's what I think we need to do in our organizations. Uh, one of the things that I often speak about when I'm talking to finance directors or investment professionals, as I was doing last week, is that they judge organizations against a benchmark of success equals have you delivered what the market expects you to deliver? Have you delivered in comparison to your peers? And one of the things I said to them was, you know, you shouldn't think about it like that. Because you're measuring against a benchmark that could actually be very low. If the organizational performance against the potential that could be achieved of your peers is low, then your performance against the potential that you have is low. And if you are looking at market expectations, the chances are that those expectations are set by people who really don't understand what the full potential of organizations is. Because everything I have seen would suggest to me that your organization is only reaching success when it and its people are performing at their maximum potential. And everything that I have seen tells me that there are very, very few organizations in this world that are getting anywhere near that. Hmm. I think that um, you, you have touched upon a number of very, very important points. And, and this is also what, what we see that despite a lot of, you know, sounds and, and uh, noise being there around organizational development and and organizational transformation and employee engagement, still employees are very much disconnected. They're not so engaged. The turnover rates are, are relatively high. Leaving without within the one year uh, of being employed is, is also quite high. So so what are some of the keys then to inspire people? What, what are the conditions that need to be there? Do you look at it from the leadership or also from the contextual uh, side? 
from from both actually i think it's worth saying that one of the, one of the challenges we face is that since the financial crisis the vast majority of organizations have actually reduced their headcounts so to put it at its most basic level we have fewer people doing more work in the same amount of time what that means is that people are overworked it's that simple and the challenge is how do you get people to give their best in that particular environment now the other issue that repeatedly comes up is that you've not only got fewer people doing more work you've also got leaders that have basic skills shortages in terms of their ability not only to be inspirational leaders but even to be able to plan and deliver work with their teams if you look at a significant number of surveys around leadership skills management skills capabilities from around the world you consistently see that there is a majority not a minority a majority of leaders in our organizations who have not got the most basic skills around areas such as time management prioritization delegation etc etc now if those skills are not present there is no way at all that those line managers can possibly make the organization run well and there is no way that those line managers can possibly inspire people because they're spending all their time rushing around firefighting because they don't know how to organize work properly because no one's ever shown them that's then reflected in the details that you get from surveys where people are asked what they think of their boss and a significant number of people are not particularly impressed with the boss they've got and that's because of the factors that i've just introduced so when you say well okay chris how do we deal with this how do we make a change to this one of the first things is you have to make sure that the people who are the line managers in the organizations actually have the skills they need to be able to do the job and that is an error that the vast majority of organizations have made but it's something that could be quite quickly dealt with if they bothered to do something about it for example if you wanted people to have a good framework for time management prioritization and delegation you can achieve that in half a day and then they can go and practice it in the workplace so we're not talking about sending them to harvard or anything we're talking about stuff that's really really simple then when they have got those skills in place it's about inspiring people and that's what i call mac 1 leadership and that's the first stage to success it's inspiring all your people to give the best what i say is to audiences that i talk to and and to anybody who's listening look if you're a leader just think back to a time in your career 
where you had a really great boss and you went that extra mile for that boss and you stayed late and they inspired you because you were inspired to go to work because you enjoyed working for that boss. And I say to them, tell me, what did that boss do every day that made them so special? What were the things they did? And when they give you what they've written down as those simple things, it's not complicated stuff. It's very simple things related to giving feedback, to asking for ideas, showing you care. All of those really basic things that we as human beings want from our jobs. And that is, is one of the things that I think we've forgotten in leadership. We've forgotten that there are some really simple things that leaders can do every day that show the people that work for them that they respect them as people, that they respect them as professionals in their own field, and that they want to do the best for them. And I have said quite simply to CEOs and CFOs and all sorts of people, you know, the, the question is, why should anybody want to give their best for you or your organization or its customers if they don't think that you care about them? Yes. Yeah, we, we do speak a lot about the human-centered leadership and putting the human back into the workplace. And, and there's definitely a strong movement also coming, people wanting that in all kinds of sectors. And I heard you also made at one of your presentations uh, an example about the NHS and the NHS conference about the nurse who stands up and says, I would have loved to do the best I could, but the, the system wasn't there. Now, I just wanted to ask you uh, unpick some of the things you said and about overwork. We have had uh, already some discussions on the Work Life Up podcast series about overwork and the taboo of overwork and the elephant in the room. And but I would just go back to maybe looking at the you know the business culture, these very strict professional norms where everybody has to see, have to um, seem to be busy. Because if you're not, then you're just not trying your best or you're not motivated enough and people would get labeled. And, and so there's this competition of, of who stays longest and who does more. Do you see that in your, in your work? Well, uh, as somebody who has worked for an international bank that had an investment bank and living in the city of London and, and having colleagues who are in the financial services sector, um, I am fully aware of the implications of overwork and, and indeed, sadly, there was a case in UK a while ago of an intern um, who was working ridiculously long hours for uh, an investment bank and collapsed and died uh, whilst they were at home after a particularly long period of time working. Having said that, in all fairness to the bank, there was an underlying medical condition that the intern had not disclosed to the bank, but uh, it, it just shows that people are put under too much pressure. I think the key point that people need to appreciate 
and this is about organizational culture, this is about HR, and this is about leadership, is that there is a critical difference between working hard and working smart. Anybody can work 24 hours a day and achieve nothing. That is not as good for the organization as somebody who is working eight hours a day and achieving a lot. We all know from all the statistics that once you go start going well over 60 hours work per week, um, or even less than that, there is a rapid decline in your ability to make decisions and in your ability to do good work. This is quite simply why those who drive heavy goods vehicles, those who fly airplanes, and those in other safety critical environments are not by law allowed to work more than a certain number of hours. That should tell all of those in other businesses where people do work longer than those hours that if those things are banned by law, it must be because there is a significant reduction in performance after those hours, which justifies that particular state of affairs. So if the commercial world was to look at aviation or transport or whatever, they should be saying to themselves, well, hang on here. What's the point of getting people to work over a certain number of hours? Because if they do that, the quality of what they are delivering drops, the risk increases, the quality of customer services drops. So the issue is about how can we get people to focus on the right things and not the wrong things? And that's actually what MAP2 is about, because that's the second stage of my MAP2 leadership. The first stage is to get the best from everybody. But the second stage is to make sure that they're doing the right thing. And all of us over our careers have seen people who are enthusiastically going in the wrong direction. Yes. And it's amazing the determination with which people can go in the wrong direction. And what I say about MAC2 is MAC2 is about helping leaders understand what the wider context is in their organization. So rather than just doing their job, they are focused on what makes the organization successful. And those are not necessarily the same things. So if you understand the wider context of what your organization is trying to achieve, when you look at what you are doing in your job, and when you are looking at what you are getting your people to do, if there is a difference between what they are doing and what the organization needs to achieve, and if what they are doing does not support that, then you're doing the wrong stuff. And one of the issues in terms of people overworking is I believe that there is a significant element of the work that they are doing that is not critical to organizational success, but they are just doing it because the organizational system wants them to do it. Hmm. 
Yes, for sure. And and I think that um, uh, a lot of, of administrative things or also through a lot of the technologies, um, we, we almost have um, forgotten, you know, how to work with all of that. And I'm just, for example, thinking about email, you know, and, and I think email was great in the beginning when you got two emails a day, but we're not really addressing the problem when you're getting 800 emails a day that all you could be doing is either process your emails or you could focus, as you say, on, on the really important things. And, and somehow some of these things are not even addressed, I find. Would you agree? Yes, it, it, it's, it's about going back to the basics. You see, we've created, particularly in large organizations, we've created complicated systems and processes, organizational policies that take on a life of their own. Yeah. I sometimes say that the organization isn't run by the board. The organization is actually run by the organizational processes and policies. Yes. And what happens is that nobody stops and says, hang on, let's take a step back. Are these policies, are these systems, are these ways of working still appropriate and optimum for the world we are in? And what most organizations discover is that actually they're not, hmm. because the world has moved on. Customers have moved on. Yes. And, you know, for example, I was speaking in Dubai to uh, about 35 C-suite retail chief executives and um, CFOs and other people around this, this topic. And one of the things that was quite clear from the position that the retail market is in is that it's becoming ever more complicated and things are moving fast and the world is changing fast and it's now no longer bricks and mortar selling of things in shops. It's no longer just online. It's a combination of online and picking up in shops or having it delivered or going into the shop and then having it sent on. And it's the combinations of how it can work are so many that actually the old systems just don't work anymore. And you have to have a flexible and adaptable approach that is lean and slick because otherwise, as I said before, you get to the point where the legacy system starts actually frustrating the ability of the people in the organization to deliver what the organization is asking them to deliver. Yeah, it becomes totally counterproductive. And what do you think it takes for an organization to take that leap to say, okay, we're going to be clear headed about this, look at this and face some of our internal demons? Does it take courage or is it a, a pivotal moment because of, you know, drop of, you know, high turnover or drop of profit? What does, what does it take for an organization to do this? In terms of your comment about dropping profit or, or, or a critical moment, you're absolutely right. This does happen in organizations that have a critical moment hmm. because suddenly everything is going horribly wrong and you're forced into taking a step back 
because otherwise you're going to go over the cliff. Yeah. The problem is actually organizations that are going okay and are not facing going over the cliff because then the attitude of the management and the employees is, well, we're doing okay. You know, we're producing some profits or we're servicing our customers. Um, and therefore, do we really need to worry about this? Yeah. So it's really the uh, people in the middle. So you have startups who, who are already starting up and, and using some of these techniques and, and working methodologies. Then you have those who are just on the brink of collapse. And then there's a huge number of organizations in the middle who are complacent about it, right? This is the problem. It is that group in the middle who are performing okay, mm. but who could perform so much better. I mean, just to give you one figure from my presentation, we know that if you look at all the data around engagement, we know that if organizations got this right, you could potentially get 30% more effort from 60% of people. Now, that's a colossal amount of extra effort that the organization could leverage and which most organizations are not doing. The problem is that if you do a really detailed and complex analysis of this, it can potentially take years. Yes. So what I say is actually the MAC2 approach short circuits that for you because what you're doing is you're creating an environment where If your line managers are doing those basic things on a day-to-day -day basis that inspire people, those inspired people will start looking for the solutions for you at operational level. Yeah. And you won't have to have the senior management setting up a project team to look for opportunities to improve things. Mm. Because what will be happening will be that people across the organization, because they are inspired and they care about the organization, will want it to be the best. Hmm. That way, you short circuit it to some degree. Now, okay, within certain elements of the organizational legacy, you need to look at some of the technical areas in terms of production and how can that be made better, customer service, how can that be made better? But in all of these, the bottom line is that to find out what can be done better, you have to ask the people who are doing it. Yeah. If you get the people who are doing it to volunteer the information without being asked, it saves you falling behind because they're doing that constantly. Hmm. Now, uh, the talk in, in, your, in the title of your talk, you also um, provoke a little bit. You say HR's road, route to credibility. So would you just like to touch upon very briefly, where do you see HR's role? Is it a redesign? 
It does it need to be reinfused with new people, with new skills, also HR systems that need to be renewed, or, or how could they deal with this? Well, first of all, I think HR needs to think about what it does and why it's there. As an ex-military guy from the British Army, when you saw those pictures of the British Army in Iraq or Afghanistan, and you saw soldiers running around, you didn't see somebody else running along beside them with HR written on the back. <laughs> no. And that poses a question which says to me, well, if you don't need HR to make those sort of things happen, then why do you need HR in a commercial organisation? Because the army delivers stuff, the army gets paid, et cetera, et cetera. So there are HR people that do the pay, but you know they're, they're not at the front. And one of the reasons that that happens is because the leaders in the military have those critical basic skills that allow them to ensure the job is done properly and thus allow them to have the bandwidth to inspire people. One of the problems that HR has, and indeed one of the organizational problems that I think is, is critical, is that because there are these skill shortages of the most basic skills for all line managers, HR is constantly picking up the pieces of disasters that have occurred at operational level, which would not have occurred if those line managers had the skills that they should have. Therefore, HR is being distracted from what it could be doing to leverage value in the organization by having to pick up the pieces of the disasters. If you then look at the wider organizational picture, if you say to people on the board, look, you know, you've come up with this great strategy and you have been for years and the HR function has been coming up with some really great leadership development staff or, or customer service staff, but it hasn't really worked. You then ask the question, why? And we go back to that basic point that both HR and the board are feeding what could be seen as good things down through an organization where there are a number of levels of line managers who have neither the skills, nor the motivation, nor the understanding to be able to leverage those things to their maximum potential. And that's the problem. What's happening is that the board and HR are pushing out things that should transform the organization but which will never perform the organization if they're given to people who don't know how to use them. It's exactly the same as putting somebody in a car and telling them to drive when they haven't been taught how to drive. It's all going to end very badly. Yes, right. So HR has, I think, a big... Um... A big task ahead. Um, that's what we're getting from all of our guest speakers as well, is that they 
this could be their sh you know their greatest moment to shine but the organizations and leadership has to change and line managers have to be trained and and adapt to the new circumstances and so does hr i think that's the overwhelming message we're getting from everyone the critical thing is that hr needs to act as a catalyst an enabler and inspirer the vast majority of people at board level are very busy doing what they have to do for their functional areas they need hr to help them take a step back and to say look the reason you're struggling to make this work is because the people are not inspired to make it work and they don't understand the wider picture. And HR needs to educate people at senior level to say, if you do this in the right way, it will make them inspired, it will deliver what you need, it will make your life easier, and it can be done quickly, simply, and effectively. Then the senior people will, in their heads, conduct a very quick cost-benefit analysis, and say to themselves, ah, this makes business sense. Let's do what HR says. Once HR has then helped there to be a number of success stories in the organization, it will pick up momentum. Then when things are running better, HR itself will find that its life is easier. The point is that somebody need to break the vicious circle that organizations are now in, in terms of things not happening. The only people that can do that, it's not the marketing department that's going to do that. It's not the finance function that's going to do that. It has to be the HR function. Although I would add a word of warning to HR people to say that in the last year, I have worked with the chief financial officer and senior financial leaders of two major institutions. And it's the finance function in those major institutions who view themselves as the chief catalyst for change in the organization and not HR, because they are the part of the organization that knows how every other part of the organization is working how efficient it is, what it needs to do to produce organizational success in terms of the figures. Now, therefore, those finance functions are saying to themselves, it's not HR that's the catalyst of change, it's us. And unless HR starts transforming what's happening in a business-driven way and potentially getting into partnership with the finance function, then HR is going to have a major problem. If HR takes a business-driven approach, a pragmatic and simple approach, and works potentially with the finance function to convince the senior leadership to try a different approach, then I think HR is on the edge of success. Great. Okay, so that that's, I think, thank you very much for the overview and and for the for really um, unpacking some of these issues, I think it's it's very valuable. Um, before we go to our last question, would you like to share um, some of your contact details, your website where people can reach you? 
Yeah, I, I have a website and I would encourage everybody to go on the website uh, and steal whatever they like. <laughs> they can use it as they like to make their life easy, to help their organization. It's www.chrisroebuck.co. There's blogs on there that look at everything from mindfulness to why there's only 6% representation of HR people on boards. There's television interviews. I've done about 250 television interviews talking about various leadership aspects. There's case studies. Um, there's details of my books. I've just actually produced a new book uh, published by Palgrave Macmillan called Strategic Leadership Development that focuses on that critical element of how you become a strategic leader as well as an operational leader. And it's an area that many, many organizations completely miss. And that's another factor that stops organizations performing well. So the, the website is a resource of all sorts of different thought-provoking ideas, case studies, formats. On there, there's even a very, very short self-assessment that allows people to assess their own Mac 2 leadership capability. So that's there. And I, as I say, please use it, steal it, do whatever you like. I think that every, I think many people will be very inspired by a lot of your talks. And I think that really comes across that you are, are so open in sharing a lot of your concepts and, and very pragmatic and explaining. And I think that's very helpful. And I'm sure very many people will find it very helpful. So now coming to our last question that, that is always the same. If I could ask you, Chris, now to give an advice, your key advice to a CEO to make a change in the well-being of his or her employees, to, to give, you know, infuse inspiration back into the workplace, what would that advice be? The advice would be quite simple. It's show you care and give everybody a compelling vision of the future that they can sign up to and they can help you achieve in partnership. And it's about thinking of an organization, not just as a way to make money, but as a way to transform that organization and transform the lives of the people in it. And through that, transform their family lives and transform the lives and communities that are around your business because that's what leadership is about and that's what HR is about it's about making a difference and transforming lives great thank you so much Chris I really really enjoyed our discussions and and also the all the advice and and practical approach that you shared your experience it's much appreciated thank you very much it's a great pleasure and I wish uh, all your listeners the very best of luck in doing what they do in organizations to transform people's lives. Thank you.